that was the other thing. It's like they they said there's a checkbox in the form for this is an emergency change. And everybody was just always checking that because it took three weeks to get an answer if they didn't. And then so somebody's like, well, maybe we need this is a extremely urgent or, or a, a very emergent, whatever it was, you know, like. You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 130, and I'm back, and I got rid of the scallywags. Tim (laughs) and, and Carol couldn't be with us tonight. I think it's Tim's turn to have a, a leaking kitchen. That's all the information that I have. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Carol is just very busy right now between her new job and the move and all that that entails. So yep. got myself, Adam, and Ben tonight. And uh, we're just going to make it happen. On tonight's show, we're going to talk about the book that we've been reading, our book club, a little bit. I'll give you a chance to catch up. And we are going to tie that in to the compliance work that I have been doing at work. Compliance is a a big part of the book as well, which was not really intentional when I suggested that we read this, but kind of worked out nicely. So we'll dig into that a little bit. So I guess as usual, we will start with our triumphs and fails. And since our friends Tim and Carol are not with us tonight, I will go ahead and go first. I'm going to start us off with a fail. So I've been mentioning how we wanted to hire some junior developers and, you know, kind of mentor them up through instead of only ever hiring senior developers and how we were interested in working with a a local college on that. So we're near Philadelphia and it, uh, it, when I brought this to my CEO, he was like, oh, actually Drexel has a great co-op program that does this pretty, pretty regularly. I think they're pretty well known for their co-op program, which is, you know, kind of like you get school credit and you also get to work experience and kind of just work together like that. And we looked into it and we just missed the cutoff window. Uh, so like we have to wait till the entire next semester before we can participate in that. I think it's either the next semester or, or maybe next year. So I don't know, we'll figure it out, but uh, it sucks that we kind of missed the window on that one. I've never heard that phrase co-op program in relation to a, to like internships. So I don't, I don't know what the relationship would be there. I I don't know the language, if maybe it's specific wording for specific, you know, ways it's implemented or whatever. I did an internship when I was in college and we, we didn't have like a co-op program or anything. I mean, that's, it's awesome that you're really actually taking steps to look into this and it wasn't just a momentary, trying to be nice if. Yeah. Yeah. When I brought it to Steve, my, my boss and semi business partners, we have a very ambiguous relationship around that part but anyway i brought it to him and i was like you know i I think i would be really interested in doing this you know kind of sort of moving in into more of a mentoring and managing role and and you know bringing on some junior developers and like spending a uh, a specified portion of my week like pair programming and mentoring with them and then doing other stuff the, the rest of the week and he was like hell yeah that sounds perfect so let's do it so awesome which which was great but then it became real and it's like okay well now what (laughs) how do we do that that's not something you can where do you put the semicolons in that statement right like (laughs) this is all new to me Uh, well you know it sounds like we could lean on tim for some advice he's he seems to have run things like this so maybe he can if only he were here if only he were not dealing with stuff and and he he doesn't even listen to this podcast, so it's not like he's going to hear us 
<laughs> complaining about his absence. What, so do you think you'd have to get people equipment? I mean, that's, so that's what's a, the yeah, barrier that's to a really question. I, I have no idea. You know, I, I mean, I, I got to imagine that kids enrolled in a computer science program at school are going to be, you know, they're going to have some right, equipment right. that they can use. And, and our stuff can run anywhere, right? You just need a, a pretty basic code editor, like Visual Studio Code, Sublime. If you're a glutton for punishment, you could use Notepad. <laughs> like, so, it, it, I mean, you talk about compliance. Is there anything in the compliance mandate that talks about who owns the machine on which the work is done? Or is that simply oh, yeah, contractual course. stuff? There's policies on policies on policies, my friend. <laughs> so is it, is, it? It, is it okay for, for a student to own a laptop and then do work for your We company? have a bring your own device policy, BYOD. Ah, lovely. Right? So it talks about like, you know, what's, what's allowed, what's supported, you know, ownership of, of the, the hardware. And, and I don't think the BYOD policy covers like, okay, if you use our machine on your own time, what happens with that? But like, you know, that's in one of the policies. I love the idea of being able to bring your own device, especially in this industry where it's full of people who aren't just clocking in and clocking out, but mm-hmm. have bleed over of interests into hobbies that relate to work or relate to work adjacent things. The idea that there's ever contention around whose machine you should be using for what it just mm-hmm. feels like unnecessary complexity it, it, and it's friction. predatory. It's that, weird. It, yeah. I can only ever see it as predatory. Like why, in what universe does it make sense for a company to own something I made on my free time because I happen to use the computer that they bought for me to do my, my business work, my nine to five job on, but I happen to use it at, you know, three in the morning on Saturday. Right. On my own thing. That doesn't, that doesn't compute for me. Like that just seems like, oh, there's some gray area here. So the company's going to take advantage of that and just be like, nope, that's ours now. Yeah, and it's like my computer here, it's it's murky. I bought this computer and I had to sort of get permission to use it. And the guy who runs the security was okay with it because I have to install all the security software. So so technically there's stuff on this computer that the IT department at work could, if they had to, remote wipe this computer, even though mm-hmm. you know, eighty percent of the things that are on this computer are actually mine and not having anything to do with work. Yep. Well, like, I'm okay with that. It's called MDM. They're not going to do that. What's MDM? Mobile device management. Mm, Yeah, yeah. So then there's the antivirus stuff that I've had to install and and things of that nature, like find my Mac Mm -hmm. is mandated. The hardware. Full disk encryption. Yeah, full disk encryption is mandated, all that kind of stuff. And they have some sort of a, like a thing that monitors the state of the computer to make sure all of that stuff is in place. And if, and if it's not, you know, I get alerts, they get alerts, et cetera. Yeah, no, the, that's part of compliance too, is like, you have to be able to prove that, you know, the, the, the necessary people have full disk encryption on and that they're running antivirus scans and, you know, this and that. And so one, the, the, it's not the only reason to install MDM software, but like by installing MDM software, it allows you to query that and, and control it at the, at the corporate level. And you can just get, you can print out a report that says, look, here, 100% 100% of our developers have full disk encryption on and all that. And so that you can submit that as your evidence for the particular compliance requirements. That's awesome. All right. So, so nothing, nothing if from a compliance standpoint is ultimately at odds with the idea of having college students work on your stuff. 
you know, as no, long as the right no, permissions are in place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the whole grants. compliance is all about just making sure that you have done the due diligence to keep your system secure and your financials, you know, legit. Yeah, sounds good. So, so is your plan now to wait for next semester or is there some other avenue you want to explore? I, I think m- personally, my plan is to keep my head down, trying to get my work done, my compliance stuff that I'll talk about. But, you know, as free time makes itself available, because I got, this is event season for us too, right? So today is Monday. I'm leaving early Wednesday morning to head up to Princeton, New Jersey to work at an event for Princeton University. I'll be there through the weekend and we will be working 9am to midnight every day, but yeah, <laughs> so uh, <intense. laughs> but it's a lot of like hurry up and wait. Right. So it's like, you know, a lot of stuff to do first thing in the morning. And then there's like two hours of kind of dead time until lunch. And then, you know, you have lunch and then maybe a little bit more work and then an hour of dead time and a little bit more work and two hours of dead time. And then a big rush from like 6pm to midnight or whatever. And mm-hmm. So yeah, like when I have that downtime, I'll, I'll, maybe try to use some of it to look into other options, other internship options. Maybe the co-op thing is something we can look into for the future, but maybe a little more informal, just like somebody needs an internship as a requirement. It doesn't have to be a for credit sort of thing. Cause I feel like that's what I did in school. There was a, there's that girls who code program, which I think is a national program. I wonder if there's some sort of in in roads you could have there. Yeah, that's a good thing to look into. I should, I should write that down. Because I think they're everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Hey, me, when you're listening to this later, write that down. <laughs> so that's it for me, I guess. Ben, how about you? I'm going to even us out here with a triumph, which is that I, I've talked recently about my lifelong desire to build a fitness application of some sort. And I have taken the very first smallest of baby steps to actually move that into reality, which in the ultimate irony of all things developer is I deleted the previous fitness app that I had built and so that I can now build a, a newer, shinier one. But the, the previous fitness app that I had, I had, it, it was deactivated. No one's even been able to log into it in years. And I was inspired by, in part, I finally read the just ship book by Amy mm-hmm. Hoy, which you had recommended probably like a year ago or something. And it, it was interesting. I mean, it was, it's a, it's a very quick read. I read it in, you know, an hour and a half. I think I skimmed part of it too. It's a pretty short book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty short book, but she definitely drives home the just start, just do something. I didn't agree with everything that she said in the book, but the idea of starting small, doing things incrementally it really resonated with me and how I approach work. And I want to take all of those same philosophies and and apply them to building, you know, a little side hustle project as well. I don't, I don't intend to ever make money off of this. At least that's not my initial plan, but I'm not going to close that door if that's an opportunity, perhaps down the road. Yeah. You're just not actively pursuing it. It's it's in the universe. It's hard to, you know, what I want to build is just something where I can track my workouts and it's hard to know what people would even want to pay for, especially because I think most fitness apps, when you go on the app stores, are are they free? I don't even know. I don't do any market research. I have no yeah, interest in either. doing market research. <laughs> well, that that's a little uh, antithetical to uh, the whole philosophy that Amy teaches, but I don't know if that was really covered in that book. I think that book was more just like, get out of your own way, start working. Yeah, so, so that's something that she talks in the book that I didn't quite understand. So I think she kept talking about the 
term sales safari, I believe. Yeah. And then yeah. I subscribed to her, she and and her partner, Alex, I think is his mm-hmm. name. They do a Stacking the Bricks podcast, which I, I cherry picked like, I don't know, eight or 10 episodes to listen to that. It's, it's actually pretty interesting. I'm going to keep listening to it. And they go more into depth about it. But it, it, it did seem very different from a lot of a lot of advice where she seemed to talk about finding a market first and then mm-hmm. building a product. Whereas mm-hmm. I think a lot of people build a product or at least have an idea for a product and then figure out the market fit. I think she was saying that that's in most cases doomed to fail because you didn't, you didn't, you don't have the right thing to begin with, mm-hmm. which it's like the uh, classic, you know, programmer, ah, screw this. I'm just going to go start my own thing and make my own money. And, <laughs> you know, a year later you come crawling back, please take me back. It's so tough because I'm so driven by the idea of scratching my own itch. Mm. And it's hard to, it's hard to want to build a product simply because someone else needs it and not because it solves some problem that I have. And I mean, maybe that's just a narrow-minded view of the world. I mean, it, it, it certainly is, right? I mean, people build products all the time for itches that they do not have themselves personally and are, can be very successful at it. But it, you know, I think if you're doing it as a, as a job, that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. you, but if you're just going to do something as a small side hustle, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I'd only want to do something that scratches my own itch. Yeah. I, it, there's, I think that there is a, a middle ground where there is both and that's where the magic happens. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, you can, you could just scratch your own itch. And as you personally just said a minute ago, like maybe it turns into nothing, right? Maybe nobody ever wants to pay for it. Maybe it's just, it's just a you thing. And that there's nothing wrong with that at all. But if you wanted to turn it into a business, then building the thing that you want may turn out to be something that nobody else on the planet wants, right, even if they right. know it's available, right? So versus, so, yeah. Well, so let me finish yeah, real quick. Go, go. So Amy and Alex teach a course that's called 30 by 500, not sponsored. <laughs> and I've just been sort of floating out here in the in the ecosystem, very aware of their stuff and and all the you know, gobbling up all the little tidbits of free content that they give away. Because it seems very valuable, but I have not taken the course. And I did read the book, and and you know, I bought a couple of their little info products. But it it very much seems like, from the outside looking in, my interpretation of what I've heard is that you identify a group of people that you would enjoy serving, right? So if you are a, a amazing React developer, and you happen to find a place where a lot of people talk about React stuff. And you hang out there and you've already been, especially if you've already been hanging out there and you're part of that community. And then you see, you know, if you can, if you can detect a trend of people doing the whole, like, shut up and take my money thing, right? like that is a, that's a sign, especially if, you know, they're all doing it for the same thing. Like we have this problem, like that is a sign. And if you go, yeah, I, I know how to do that and I can, I can do that and you can pay me for that. Then that's sort of like the, the my totally uneducated guess of what sales safari is about. It's like finding those, they call them watering holes where those people who do the thing, the people that are in the audience that you want to serve, where do they hang out and and talk to each other and complain about their problems with the thing that they like doing, whether it's knitting or, or whatever. Right. And, you know, kind of be a fly on the wall there, identify their problems. uh, And, and then, let me interject because as you're saying this what i'm realizing is i think maybe this weird baggage that i'm bringing to the conversation so when i when i think 
building something for a need that you don't have personally, my first reaction is, okay, I'm going to be showing up to a job I don't like. I'm going to be building a product I don't believe in because someone told me to build it. And like, clearly I'm bringing my own to that perspective. And when you talk about finding a group of people that you would take joy in helping, I'm like, oh yeah, that's like, that's actually the real me. When I think about dealing with customers at work, that that was, I didn't always understand what they were asking for. I didn't always relate to the things that they wanted, but I was so excited to get on calls and talk to these people and hear about their pain points and think about, oh yeah, I could fix that. I could, that's a, that's just a database query. Like mm-hmm. literally the thing that is driving you crazy will take me half an hour to build. I can do that for you. And, uh, and man, I feel like such a jerk now that, <laughs> <laughs> that my first reaction was, oh, I don't want to build something for other people. But I, but I do think, honestly, if I, if I can be super transparent, I feel like that is a byproduct of how, of how distant I've become from my own customers at work. And that's, mm. that's something I need to fix. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think that it's even 100% that, right? So I think that there's this stereotype of, you know, uh, software people going off and just like, oh, I've got an amazing idea. I'm going to go build it. And you spend six months and and your life savings trying to build it. And then it crashes and burns. And now you're destitute and you have to become a, uh, you know, whatever. I don't want to say any particular job because I'm just going to sound like a jerk, right? So whatever, a, a job you don't want. And then, and and her philosophy is sort of the antithesis of that. Like find a problem that you already know how to solve. And, and actually like, it's funny how things like overlap too, because you've got like, you've probably heard the, the phrase content marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, you're giving a lot of value away for free in order to sort of build your personal brand and right. build trust with your audience. And then after some point into it, you provide some sort of paid product and you can kind of like, you know, continue to build that trust and that relationship. Now they're, they're paying for a premium product from you and they find out that they love your teaching style and you know, you're, you're just kind of growing that snowball bigger as it rolls down the hill or whatever, whatever metaphor you like. And it's so tough because I feel like there's a lot of traps and pitfalls along that path where you can kind of get sucked into like, not the, the methodology that they teach, right? It's not just like give away 10 tips and then make a free, make a paid product, right? Like it's a, you're, you're, I think their approach again totally uneducated, haven't taken the course. But my, my understanding is you, you build a relationship with the people, right? You become part of the community and you become known in the community as somebody who's giving away your knowledge. And then, and then it's like, okay, well, here's a big thing that I can do. And because it's a big thing, I can charge for it or whatever. So. Yeah. It, it, it's making more sense as we're talking about it, actually. It's tough because I, I want to build this thing for myself, but I am excited at the idea that someone else might find value in it, but it's hard. Like, I don't want to get sucked down the rabbit hole of now building something for someone else before I've built anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want, I want that MVP to be the thing that makes me the happiest so that I'll keep doing it right. and then figure out, okay, now where's the value add that I can, I can allow that I could add that other people will find perhaps more enjoyable that maybe I don't necessarily understand, but, but other people might find helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, the first thing that comes to mind for me, if, if you wanted to do that market research that you're hesitant to do is go on the app store, look up fitness apps and read their reviews, right? So many people are going to be in there complaining about this. That's an interesting idea. 
Yeah. Like, I love this feature, but this sucks about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> delightful, delightful idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, let me throw something totally at random now, like taking a, taking a side yeah. tangent here, but, sure. but in the idea of becoming closer to customers. So as I mentioned just previously in this conversation, I have felt very distant from my customers for a long time now. It, it used to be when the company was small, when we didn't really have a support team, when we hadn't even heard of the term customer success, engineers would get on calls with people and we would have, we, you know, we would do screen shares and we would debug, oh, why is the app not working for you? Let's figure it out. And th- that's an error that is years behind us right now. I haven't directly talked to a customer months, I don't know, six months, eight months. And that was only me listening on a call, someone else talking to a customer. So I've been feeling the need to remedy that situation. And I had this crazy idea and, and I'm going to throw it out there and you can feel free to give me raw, <laughs> transparent feedback. You're wrong. And this is why. <laughs> so here's my, here's my thought. In the, uh, let me caveat this immediately by saying I work on the legacy platform at work. No one else <laughs> really? cares. No one else cares about the legacy platform. So I feel like I have a lot of latitude to experiment and to ask for permission or no, to ask for forgiveness, not for permission. Okay. Here's my, here's my thought. What if in the global navigation, I had a little office hours link and you click the office hours and it says something like, you know, Friday from 11 a.m. Eastern to 1 p.m. Eastern. You know, the language here is not right, but the engineer who maintains this system will be available mm. for any questions you want to talk about. And it just a, it's a link to a Zoom. And right. Friday at 11 a.m., I show up and I click like a little feature flag that says like on air. And then like the, maybe the office hours turns red or something, you know, kind of like a, like on air at a radio station. Yeah. Yeah. And just hang out and see if any customers show up and want to talk about the app. I assume a lot of people who show up will be angry and like, I'm prepared <laughs> for that. You know, that's, that's why they're showing up, but I'm like, I'm just thirsting. I'm thirsting to talk to people who want to talk about the product. Is that a crazy idea? Not at all. I do think the very first thing that I thought of, as you started to get into the details there was you got to be careful how much you open the kimono. I know. Um, I know. So you specifically use language like the engineer that that maintains this, which <laughs> the only one who cares about. It. Yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> some people will definitely read that and go, "There is only one person working on this product." Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah so you know, you kind of have to use the delicate. royal we and that sort of thing, and you know, just 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 because you are the only one that ever shows up from the company at these office hours to to talk to the customers doesn't mean that there's not right. more people right i i take the i take the requirements from the customers to the engineers i'm good with people <laughs> <laughs> i think that that sounds fun i would and that's it. that's more of a, a sort of a delicate tightrope that you have to walk there because like if you just kind of show up online one day and people have to be in the app and notice it to see it like you're you're not going to see much uptick at first and i feel like for me that would be demoralizing yeah 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 right I, like if yeah. you just if you just go i want to play with live i'm i'm speaking from personal experience here i want to i want to see what live streaming is all about so you just like jump on a live thing you tweet i'm live now and right. and you go like i'm going to work on a coding thing and you're like there's nobody there watching you, so you can't talk to anybody. So then when somebody does pop in, you're like in the middle of thinking about something and you're like not in a, you're not talkative, right? 
So there you're, it's just somebody like looking over your shoulder at your screen while you're working on something and, and it doesn't work that way, right? Like in order for it to actually, I think, be what I would consider successful if I were doing it, I would want to advertise it a little bit in advance. I don't know if you have like announcements or anything sort of built into your, right. Into your so app where you'd be like, here's where it gets weird, coming right? Up. Because yeah, I feel like if I, I hate to even say this in a place where anyone could ever hear it. I feel like if I went and I asked the company and said, Hey, would you guys mind if I did this? I would not get permission for it. So right. I sort of feel like I have to get something in place such that like a customer sees it. Like I'm not even saying get to the first office hours, but I'm saying like it has to be in the app doing something before anyone knows about it. Otherwise I, I don't think I'll be able to get it off the ground. But to your point, I think what I want to, I think what I can do is I put the office hours link in the nav all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's going to show up, maybe it has a little gray dot next to it. And that gray dot can turn red, you know, when we're on air. Kind right. Of thing. Yeah. It shows up all the time. Anyone can click on it anytime. They get taken to a, an interstitial page and the interstitial page says the, the next office hours is scheduled for, you know, maybe it's like a week and a half from whatever the mm-hmm. day is. So that way people can dribble in the clicks, the attention. They can see, oh, what is this? Let me make a mental note of that maybe, or maybe I could, you know, I'm talking MVP. I don't even, even the idea of like, you know, send me an email when this is, when this is live, like that's more infrastructure and effort that I think I'm ready to put into it yet. But yeah, I I think having the link there all the time, but then only having it activated on air, flashy, whatever, you know, beeping at the, at the time of, of, of it live. I feel like, I feel like that's something we could work with. Yeah. I mean, Who's going to review this pull request and are they not going to rat you out? <laughs> I, I got people. I got people. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Odin. It's a, well, it's and, 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 you know, you talked about, I think this is in the, the JFS book as they, as they start mm-hmm. to call it. I think this is in the book. I don't think this is in one of the podcasts, but they were, she talks about it in the book that they had one product that they went to release and it, it fell completely flat. And they had done a bunch of products before and they had all been very successful and they didn't quite understand why this one suddenly fell flat when everything, like they did it by the numbers. And for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, this one didn't feel like it was working. And they, what she realized was that there was, to your point, no lead up at all. They were Mm -hmm. like, Hey product, here's the page. Here's the, here's the buy now button. Have at it. And when she talked about the products that had been successful, it was the, we announced months ahead of time that this was going to happen. And then we released some, some like teasers. And then weeks before we emailed our group of people saying, Oh, this is so exciting. And then more teasers and then like tweets and, and email campaigns, everything up to and including the product deployment itself. And so they took that failed product release and they redid it, having changed nothing about the product at all, but mm-hmm. just, just implemented this drip campaign and it went to bananas. And so. Yep. I, I, yeah, it's all about framing the, the the pipeline into the product itself. For sure. It's fun talking about product stuff. Absolutely. I don't get to talk about it enough at work. I, I'm all just like on bug fixes and infrastructure problems right now. I, I do think that your office hours thing could work. I did Taffy office hours way back in the day. And I only ever mm. did like maybe two of them. Which is like, you know. That's uh, cool though. Know, I, I'm going to, it was a Google Meet. This was like maybe fairly soon after Google Meet was released. Like, yeah, I'm going to jump on a thing and we'll just, I want to talk to Taffy users, see what they're up to, see what they're, you know, if they're interested in 
new features or, or, you know, should we rewrite it to all VCF script or, or whatever? And yeah. And that went okay. CF, you know, there CF was some interest, script, what does that stand for? I don't know. Coffee, coffee script. <laughs> and the, I think that it fizzled out because there was no direction, right? It was just like <clears throat> the door is open. You can come in to talk to me about whatever you want. And people that were, you know, maybe frequent users of the, of the framework or people that were just excited about community yeah, showed up and we talked for a little bit and then it did not. Oh, you know, I, I think I also did it around like Taffy's birthday, the anniversary of its release. But that does and, make me think like I should show up with some, some pre-canned questions. Mm-hmm. If, if yeah, people absolutely. don't know what to talk about, I need, I need prompts. Mm-hmm. What do you hate most about the product? What, you know, if you were king need. for a day, yeah, of, yeah, of exactly. Envision, what would you change? Yeah, absolutely. I always like the idea of pushing a button. Like, if you had a button that you could push that did something magical, what would that do? Yeah, that's a good question. All right. Yeah, this is great. Well, this is great. You know, like, I'm excited what about what this. repetitive task do you do that could maybe be automated? Save you. You know, how much time a week would that save you? Right. Yeah. Got the uh, the machinery firing. I like it. I like it. Good. Good. Cool. Well, then maybe we switch gears and talk about. Book club and, and compliance. Yeah, Those are two, my two favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So last week you guys did the show without me and you talked about the book club a little bit in the after show and I slapped your hand for it afterwards. <laughs> because, yeah. There was some misunderstanding on our side. Yeah. That's all right. The book club is for everybody. So if you're listening to this, you are invited to join us in our book club. So basically we're reading the Phoenix project. It's a book about DevOps stuff. It's for a manufacturing company. And it's basically like, let's learn, you know, best practices about running an IT organization, right? Like, how do we handle technical debt? How do we, how do we fix the fact that the world is crumbling around us, right? Like (laughs) payroll's broken and the sand goes down and all these other problems are, are cropping up, like sometimes multiple problems in a single day. And also, by the way, at the same time, we've got this project that we've been trying to like rewrite our whole, our whole product from scratch. And it's two years late and a million dollars over budget. And we've already promised the market analysts that it's going to be coming out this quarter. You know, like, and so how do you balance all of that and, and still manage to get, get to success? That's what this book is about. And instead of just saying like, this is what continuous integration is, and this is what DevOps is. And th- you know, instead of just like giving you a list of things and like job responsibilities, it's told as a narrative story. So you meet characters and they have certain jobs and they have certain challenges they have to face. And there's people that are potentially like sabotaging things. And, and the, we're only a couple of chapters in, but the, the CEO seems maybe a little bit like his head's not in the game or something. Right. So yeah, if, if you're interested in, in following along with that, you need to do two things. You need to get yourself a copy of the book. It's called the Phoenix project. And I forget the subtitle, but it's something about DevOps. Um, and then you need to join our Discord, which you can go to workingcode.dev slash Discord. Join our Discord. It's free and open to the public. And it's like Slack, but it's just more for communities rather than companies. And then there's a channel in our Discord where we talk about the, the book and we read. So far, we've been doing three chapters a week. We just So today was our second meeting, so we were six chapters in. Today, when I say that, is Monday, May 22nd. We meet on Mondays at 5 p.m. U.S. Eastern and talk about the book for about an hour and then we move on with our day and so three chapters a week so by the time that you hear this so patrons will hear this probably just barely in time for the book club meeting that'll happen on may the 29th and then 
it'll go public in time for people who are early listeners to new episodes to to arrive for the meeting on May June fifth. Wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, um, <laughs> we moved our, our recording sorry. day and I'm, I'm, I'm off. So patrons w- would hear this in time for the June 5th thing, I believe. Maybe. I don't know. I'm all, I'm all sort of twisted. But anyway, drop into our Discord and we'll get you straight there. <laughs> right. We'll tell you what chapters you need to read up to. The chapters are pretty short, so it's not a big ask. Yeah. It's available as an audiobook if you like that. You can listen while you're driving or showering like me. And then. Yeah, and it's fun. We talk about how it relates to our our jobs and our experiences. We got a guy that's been coming in meetings that he's a college student. He's got a little bit of experience doing projects with people, and it's been a lot of fun. You know, people talking talking about the book and the challenges and how we would solve those problems. And so, I guess the the, the way we kind of wanted to tie it in this week was that so a big thing that happened in the the chapters for this week four, five, and six was uh, they got their internal compliance audit results and so there was this big meeting and they hand this dude like a stack like a probably like a a 15 pound stack of paper it's like okay here's here's all the things that are wrong and we need you to have them fixed a a week from monday can you do that yeah they did they they explain it it's like a a printed out excel sheet yeah 190 pages long or something yeah and and you know at one point when they when they said that he said it was like 20 rows per page at eight point type. And I'm like, obviously you've never seen a printed out spreadsheet. That was my first reaction. I was like, at eight point type, you could fit 150 rows on whether we're talking landscape or portrait. But then I was like, you know what though? I've seen the way that business people use spreadsheets and we're not talking a single line of text, right? Like that, that column, column D is going to be like every row is going to have 40 lines of text in it. Anyway, so yeah, they, and and they go through a little bit of in in this meeting where he gets all these audit findings, you know, like he's got some of his other managers in there with him. And they talk about how like some of this stuff is not worth considering. Like, yes, technically it's some sort of, you know, minor security issue. There's a, a insecure cookie setting on one particular server versus like you've got the another one that they brought up was like the uh, people have the ability to push changes to production without any approval and no one would know that anything changed, right? Like these are two very different levels of security issues. And man, when I read that, my, my like <laughs> bells were going off in my head. Like this is so relatable. Who among us has not run NPM audit and laughed at the like 70 prototype pollution, critical security vulnerability things. I'm like, really? Oh my God, so right. because somebody put their custom method on the array class, that's a critical security vulnerability? Or like, I mean, I get it. If if you get the perfect storm of of bad things happening, then bad stuff can happen. Like, right? You know, somebody could take over your server or whatever. But it does require that perfect storm versus, okay, you've got a SQL injection vulnerability or you've got, you know, whatever else going on. You look like one you want thing, to say One thing that I find interesting in the book, and I, and I guess every company is different, but in the book, the security team always feels very much at odds with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like they're coming in and ruining the party. And, and I will say, maybe this is a testament to the culture that we have or maybe the culture that I have deluded myself into believing that we have, <laughs> which is that the security team, we view them as, as like really having our back. And when they come in with a, with, with a pen test findings or things that are, you know, low, medium, high criticality, you know, we jump on them. And I, and I, 
and you know, this is probably just me. This is probably not everybody. Like I'm excited to jump on those things because it's, Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like what I was talking about where I thirst for communication with the customers. When the security team comes to you with issues, it's like, now the security team is your customer. You're like, what? I can solve your problem. This is exciting. I, I, maybe this is crazy. I love dropping what I'm doing. And I almost feel like the security (laughs) team gives me the permission to do that. That right. oh, I was working on a product thing. Oh, sorry, security has vulnerabilities right. that this they is need to take care of. And yeah. I'm totally okay to drop everything that I'm doing and go deal with them. And uh, I don't know, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah. Except for token rotation. That's awful all the time. <laughs> yeah. The so you're you're absolutely right that in the book it's it's feeling very much that the goals of the security team are like orthogonal to the goals of the development and operations teams. And they're just like constantly butting heads. And I've been on, I feel like I've been in places where that is representative of my experience, but I've also seen it done well. And like you were talking about, like, I don't know that I, okay, here's, here's the other thing. I would relate this very much to working out. It is so much easier to stay healthy and stay fit than it is yeah. to let yourself go and, you know, find yourself, oh, I'm now I'm 40 pounds overweight. I have, I barely walk anymore. I, you know, my doctor tell me I'm at risk for heart disease and now I have to get up and, and start working out. Right. Like right, that is right. such a heavier ask. Well, and, that, that, and that's so, a good point. Cause at, yeah. the, the picture that they paint in the book is like, imagine a scenario where everyone has made every wrong decision they can possibly make about everything. <laughs> that, that that's like what it that's that feels like the the hellscape that he has been dropped into as the new yeah, vp sure. of technology or whatever his role is yeah oh yeah like chapter one is like he gets unwillingly promoted to vp of of it or something like yeah. that and then and it's just like i, I think it's, pro- it's probably at least the first four chapters it's just like every day is at least one if not two <laughs> new like critical <laughs> fires the world it's an existential crisis and, and it's like, not only do you have to finish, you have to follow up and finish on the, the problems from yesterday, but now you've got these new fires and also you've got the, the long-term goals. And man, so the first time I read this, I feel like I took a pretty naive, because we've talked about this book on the podcast before, kind of just mm-hmm. like lightly, like, oh, I read it and I really enjoyed this sort of thing. But the first time I read this, I was a very naive view of the security guy because of like the the way he flies off the handle talking about it's my job to keep them out of jumpsuits and mm-hmm. um that the orange jumpsuits from if you go to jail and all that and you know now having some security compliance experience under my belt i get where he's coming from and and i think that you know it, i think it's a character choice i think that what we're supposed to take away from his approach to dealing with this stuff is not just that he has an appreciation for how important it is that he's been worn down by not being taken seriously by the rest yeah. of the company. Yeah, I can definitely believe that. It, 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 the, the one phrase that keeps coming to my mind when I'm reading this or when I'm listening to it is from the Agile Manifesto, which is people over process. Mm-hmm. That's you know, one of the things in the, in the manifesto, yeah, yeah. I believe. And it, it feels, at least at the onset of this book, that it is very much a pendulum swinging the other way, which is mm. let's get processes in place so that we can fix all the people problems. And on one hand, that feels like moving in the wrong direction. 
But on the other hand, it's almost like, like wartime triage. Like everyone is bleeding to death. You just need to stop the bleeding and mm-hmm. then maybe get back to a better place. So I almost feel like the, what feels to me like extreme process that they all want to put into place is to just stop everything from dying. Mm-hmm. And then not necessarily that this is the perfect solution, but it is the one that maybe keeps us alive. Yeah. Yeah. When we got together for the book club earlier, something we spent a good amount of time talking about was the, how they sort of tried to reboot their, their change advisory board. Is that what the acronym stands for? The cab? Yeah. The cab. Yeah. It's change something board. And, you know, they have this like piece of software. They, they send a bunch of people to ITIL training, I-T-I-L, which is like IT infrastructure something. Something, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, they so they spent a bunch of money to send a bunch of people to training, give up a whole bunch of time, spend a bunch of time and money on custom software to manage their cab. And and everybody hates using it because it's too it's too much work to, to you know, even for a tiny little change and it's not flexible enough. And then they come in with index cards and a calendar drawn on a whiteboard. And that's uh, we're, that's kind of where we leave off, right? At the end of chapter six, is, it seems like they're starting to get their, get to a process that might work for them. And the thing that I loved about that, you know, now on my, I believe this is my second read through, it might be my third, is that the thing, the thing that is amazing about the index card approach is that it is infinitely flexible. The only constraint is it has to fit on an index card, right? So if the if the prescribed way that you fill out the index card, you know, like it's supposed to be a one-line sentence about what it is you're changing, plus like when you want to do it and what will be affected or whatever. Like if the if the prescribed format doesn't 100% fit the type of change that you want to make, then you could just tweak it, right? Into a way that makes sense. All your it's a tool for communicating. And and that's what the whole like software thing was supposed to be about too. The tool that they wouldn't use because it was, it got in their way. Well, and that, it's interesting because in the scene when they're all in the room talking about entering data, the one guy is like, "Yeah, I can't enter it because the only option I have is this drop-down box that has a thousand mm-hmm. things in it, and it doesn't have all the things that I need, so I literally can't move forward." And she mm-hmm. says, well, of course it has to be a drop-down box. How else could we have referential integrity? Yeah. And, you know, data they, integrity. But yeah, data, data, data and, yes, 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 data <laughs> integrity. But then you look at something like the index card, where you know, there is no concept of, of data mm-hmm. integrity. Like, to your point, everything that is there is on, yeah. is on the index card. And it's almost like the index cards allow you to reset your perspective and realize that the tooling is supposed to work for you. Whereas yes. they had tooling that they had to be constrained by instead of having it work for right. them kind of a thing. Is it- the, the, yeah, their old process was about generating reports, right? So that's why they needed data integrity so they could say, okay, these were all the changes that affected this server or these are all the servers that are being affected in the next week or whatever, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. all driven by that output that they wanted and it got in the way of getting stuff done. That was the other thing. It's like they, they said, you know, the there's a checkbox in the form for this is an emergency change. And everybody was just always checking that because it took three weeks to get an answer if they didn't. And then, so somebody's like, well, maybe we need, this is a extremely urgent or, or a, a very emergent, whatever it was, you know, like double emergency, double secret emergency. Oh yeah. Oh, I used to work with it's a client. Very relatable. We used to have a Microsoft outlook and every Every, every single email she would send to the company had a little red flag for urgent mm-hmm. on it. Every single one. It Not was priority. Yeah. It's bananas. Yeah. 
Oh, that was another thing. I don't remember exactly where this came up in the book, but it was like, you know, I guess when they were, sorry, I don't remember when, where exactly this came up in the book, but they were talking about, I guess, getting a, getting a good overview of like, what is the status? Like, you know, we have all these people and they're all doing projects, but we don't have a list of the projects. So like, talk to everybody and find out what they're doing. And, oh crap, I lost my train of thought. The one where they're like, we've interviewed 200 people and we've discovered 197 projects, that kind of, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There was something I was building toward, but it, that my alarm going off really threw me. Uh, That's so okay. It's not your fault. One thing that, that keeps coming back to my mind, and, and we've talked about this on the show, I think several times now, which is this idea that people live in this world or they've created a world for themselves where you change something in one area and suddenly something seemingly unrelated blows up. And it feels like they're really suffering from that in a huge way. And you know, it's a fictional company, obviously, and there's fictional situations, and it's this is the worst case scenario. But I keep coming back to this idea that if if every team has to know about every other team's changes all the time, that feels like something has gone terribly wrong in the dependence between the teams. And I don't know if that's an architectural problem or a complexity problem or something, but like that yeah. shouldn't be happening. Well, I mean, I think it, it should, but it shouldn't, right? So the, the developers on your team don't need to know what's going on with the developers on a team, you know, up three layers in the org chart across by seven managers and then right. down three layers, right? You don't need to, you don't need to have that kind of detail into each other's daily backlogs or whatever. But I think the point of the cab is so that the, the, the managers up that org chart have a good understanding of what's going on in their department. And then when I go, oh, I want to tokenize the social security number field in the, the HR tables for compliance reasons, then the guy that manages payroll will go, well, hang on. We need, <laughs> we need to make sure that that's not going to mess up payroll runs, right? Yeah. Which is sort of the, the guys for what ended up happening in the first couple of chapters there. And yeah, it, it's about like funneling that information up in in a very digestible, memorable way, like right, Ben is Ben is adding office hours to the global nav, and then you know somebody else is adding things to global nav, and we know we've got a limit of of seven items in the global nav, and now we're talking about having an eighth one there because two people want to add one at the same time, right? And yeah, so that's that's my read on it. It's like it's not about up, over, and down. It's about just up. And the, the people up in the tree, their job is to see the, the collisions coming and, and prevent them. Yeah. And, and, and everything that people are doing in this book, they're doing it under duress. Everything is rushed. Yeah. Everything is high priority, as we discussed. And Have you ever known we, a Brent? Have you ever known a Brent? To be I, clear I, for the listeners, that Brent is a specific character in the book. And he's, yeah, the, he's, he's the hero. Yeah, he's the what's the, the what's the what's the stone in an archway that like holds it all together. The keystone. At the, top? the keystone. Yeah, he's like the keystone of the I'm company. The keystone state. I, I feel like I feel like we have people on our platform, on our platform team, where mm-hmm. if they left, it would be a problem. Yeah, right. They, yeah, they know I, too I feel much like, about how it all works under the hood. Yeah, and and it's funny because like in some organizations that's definitely true, but 
I think a lot of organizations feel that way when it's not necessarily true. Like somebody is filling that role as if they were the keystone, Mm -hmm. but that if they were to leave, then other people would be able to figure it out. And honestly, you know, we've, we've talked about like the hero complex sort of thing on the podcast before, like, yeah, it kind of makes you have some level of job security, but it's also, it limits you from moving up at all. Mm -hmm. And, and there, you know, there's all kinds of bad things about it. Single point of failure. I know and, when I've gone on vacation and the company continues to exist, like part of me is always a little sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, they didn't actually need me to be at work this week. And that's, you know, great for them, but, you know, reality check for me. Yeah, but then you come back and you see that there's 70,000 emails waiting for you. and <laughs> They screwed everything up. <laughs> you committed what? <laughs> You didn't use feature flags, and what are all these tests? Oh, feature flags so good. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I broke Ben. I sent him down a down a hole here. What else? Can we talk anything else about the book? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of other compliance stuff. So, yeah, I mean, my my work with compliance has definitely given me an appreciation for what I think his name is John, or is John the lead of the development group, or is he the uh, chief information West security officer? The, West is the no Wes is the like one of the two Wes and Patty are over like operations Uh, Patty is uh, the cab and Wes is like I think my read on it is he's in charge of all the operations dudes yeah okay that makes sense probably dudettes yeah I think I want to say John is in charge of the the development team but maybe not maybe John is whoever the CISO is the information security officer I, I have empathy for him now. <laughs> like it is hard work and, and it is a lot of times thankless work. I feel like I've been lucky that, that my company, they can see how much the stuff that I've been working on sucks and they appreciate that I'm doing it so they don't have to. And that's from above and, and my peers as well. And so like, that's nice. I'm glad that, that they appreciate that I'm doing this. And, and cause like, my code output has gone to basically zero for like, I don't know, maybe a month, if not more now. I, I've definitely done some stuff, but it's all been in service of compliance, right? Yeah, like, that's hard. You know, we're doing key rotation money. stuff. So I've been working on the key rotation software and all that, but like pushing the product forward, zero for well over a month. And, and that hurts a little bit, right? Like, so I got, I got my invite to the new integrated co-pilot like chat feature in VS Code. And like the, the beta one. And for two reasons, I haven't in bothered to install it yet. One is I don't have time. I'm, I'm busy on compliance stuff. Like I'm not writing code really. And, and the other is that it's the, you, you have to be using the, I think it's called insiders build of VS code. You have to like the beta channel. Like a bleeding right? edge build. Yeah. Which, which is fine. And I, from what I hear that there are like ways to sync it up with your stable release one so that you're, extensions stay in sync, your settings stay in sync or whatever. Oh, because it's a different physical application. I think so, yeah. And But like, man, the idea, I have so little time to write code right now as it is. Like the idea of the possibility of trying to sit down and write code when I've got a half hour and I want to bang something out and my editor is like broken in some weird way. Yep, yep, yep. That just sounds so demoralizing. So like I would I would absolutely love to get to play with this new co-pilot stuff, but I'm just it's not the right time, you know. Yeah, if I can quick tangent for a second on Visual Studio. Absolutely Code. not. We don't allow that on this <laughs> podcast. 
This is is a tangent-free zone. So I have been a Sublime Text user for years and years and years now. Absolutely love Sublime Text. And for the longest time, everyone has said, oh, you should switch to Visual Studio Code. All of the key commands work. It's a very seamless transition, but it's a better editor. You know, their their words, not mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So at work, we started using this thing from Microsoft called Dev Containers. And essentially, I had never heard of this before. But, but essentially, we have all these microservices, and we have enough to the point where it is challenging, if not impossible, for an individual developer to actually run all of their microservices on their computer. So this guy, Chesley, brilliant guy, he essentially has these EC2 instances that get provisioned to be the development, con- to be the development environments, and then you spin up a dev container, which is, I guess, the name of the product. I don't know what dev container is. The name of the library, maybe the framework. You spin up a dev container for a particular microservice and it like reroutes traffic in the EC2 instance to, to your container as opposed to the kind of the base image mm. of the, of the right. service. Anyway, it, it, it works really seamlessly in Visual Studio Code. So I've had to switch mm. over to Visual Studio Code to work on it. And like none of my key commands from Sublime Text work. I feel like I feel like I've forgotten how to type to the point where I actually will go back to Sublime Text to do work, then push the work up to GitHub, then go into the Visual Studio Code and pull the work down from GitHub so that I don't actually have to do the typing in Visual wow. Studio Code. I don't know. It, it just feels it feels so different. It it does it's not like it's not like a updated skin on the same product. It's a very, very different product. I want to. I want to do like a a code editor escape room. <laughs> like, like you know, it, everybody jokes about you know how do you quit Vim or like you know how do you how do you generate a, a truly random string? You sit a developer <laughs> down in front of Vim and tell them to try and exit, right? Like, but like, there's got to be there's got to be enough there that you can do like, you know, everybody hates so much about different IDEs. There's got to be yeah. like a way to, that would be awesome. Anyway. We've been going for for quite a while now. Why don't we call it there? And so in that case, this episode of Working Code was brought to you by Prototype Pollution, possibly the best kind of pollution. (laughs) The most dangerous kind, according to your GitHub dependabot alerts. Yeah. Oh my God. Dependabot alerts. Yeah. Don't even get me started. (laughs) If you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording costs and our editing costs. And we couldn't do this every week without them. Special thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. You guys rock. If you would like to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash workingcodepod and we will show our gratitude by allowing you to listen to more of our blathering. Patrons get a nice little like special role in our Discord that people can see that you are a patron. Um, and you get early access to new episodes and those episodes will have additional time after the outro of our blathering on about sometimes technical, sometimes non-technical stuff. And so, yeah, if you want to help help us out and get some uh, hopefully hopefully enjoyable bonus content in return, go to patreon.com slash workingcodepod. Your homework this week, come join us for book club. Get yourself a copy of the book. Come join our discord, workingcode.dev slash discord and look for the book club channel. And we would love to have you there and, and come join us Mondays at 5 p.m. U.S. Eastern. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, I doubt Ben has something planned here. (laughs) I didn't have anything planned, but I will say your heart matters. 
You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.